Hello, welcome back to the show Cracked. That's right, it's called Cracked. It's not cropped. Hopefully it's not crap. Dearly hope that FBI doesn't scrap us. It's not dapped and it's unfortunately not crack cocaine. It's called Cracked. Cracked is a podcast on FBI radio that cracks open the creative process over the duration of an hour. I'm Al, I'm a curator, a musician, and once upon a time I flunked out of psychology at Macquarie University. I'm Luke, and I'm an engineer, and I appreciate mangroves. We're here to overanalyze and maybe find a little bit of meaning along the way. We may be a little bit underqualified in some areas, but we are here on a mission every week. And that is to crack open the ideas that tie together music across genres and styles. Between different tastes and techniques and the odd joke to crack each other up and whatever I can do to get Al's tick of approval as the father figure he is in my life. It's a high bar. (laughs) It's quite a high standard. And somehow we have reached episode eight yeah. of the season of Cracked. Good for us. We still haven't cracked open the approval yet. Yeah. But maybe we will do it with this episode. I get a G-Shock soon, right? <laughs> a G-Shock by Rolly Collab. <laughs> a little bit of Rolex sprinkled in there. But today, this is the second part of a two-parter jumbo episode, if oh, you yeah. will. The first part, last week, we got into the concept of the rapper plays guitar. Yes. Which we went through everything from kind of mashups with Linkin Park and Jay-Z. We talked about the Beatles? Oh yeah, we talked about the Beatles. We found out that Luke doesn't, can't name all four members and doesn't know which ones are dead or alive. John, Paul, George, Ringo. Oh yeah. (laughs) So, if you don't believe me, go back, have a listen. (laughs) Just hit up the FBI Radio Programs page, or you can listen to Cracked on all your favorite streaming platforms Yes, that are ripping off independent artists. They are. But that is a topic for another time, because today we are going to close the loop on the two-parter with Mm. The Pop Star Goes Indie, and potentially goes back to being a pop star. Yes, I have many a Pop Star Goes Indie and inverse, indie goes pop star, goes back to indie. We're going to go through a few different approaches to this. Uh, we're going to explore the kind of traditional idea of going from a major label to an indie and potentially back. What it means to for a major label artist or a pop star to collaborate with an indie artist and that exchange of ideas and respect and kind of who does it really serve at the end of the day like what does what does one take out of it is there a clear-cut winner does everybody lose it serves their ego what does it mean for the audience and the fans another approach is potentially getting remixed or sampled by an indie artist or the indie artist being sampled by the pop star evian christ sampled claro and we bring it back to Evian Christ. <laughs> just, just wait for the bla- the Blade reference, guys. <laughs> Sorry, it's such a prevalent album on my mind. Well, we're also going to explore pop versus indie as pure perception. And this is where it starts getting a bit matrixy. Yes. And it's all in the eye of the beholder. What defines indie? And when does indie become well, pop? Oh, yeah. And then, well, 
and then there's indie pop. Indie, yeah, yeah. Which is also very confusing. So what sounds like a simple topic, the pop star goes indie, is very complicated, but thankfully there is a lot of excellent music to guide us through from the likes of Death Grips and Björk, local heroes like Flume and Collarbones, R.I.P. Charlie XCX is in there. Ooh, Lana Del Rey. Caroline Polachek too. Ooh, Caroline. They're on a. They're on a. Um... A favorite of FBI's. <laughs> I, I think. I don't know why that's. Her funny. interview was just after our show went on, so Caroline Polachek might oh, yeah. know who we are. Oh yeah, well we do set a high bar. <laughs> and for the the older heads who like their music a bit kind of a bit more mature, hmm. a bit more aged. Bit of Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, bit of Sinead. Maybe it's a bit of Depeche Mode. Who knows? Scott Walker. Dare I say, <laughs> some Lana Del Rey, which I think crosses generations yes. at this stage. Scott Walker related to Paul Walker? Uh, it's pretty fast. <laughs> and it's, it, the music gets faster and it's definitely furious. I also had a big Lana Del Rey phase when I was like 14. Well, we'll get into that. I mean, you're only 15, right? <laughs> Effectively. <laughs> We're going to kick off with an FBI favorite mm. and definitely an artist who really epitomizes both the idea of pop and indie and the complete blurring of those boundaries. Yes. She's boundary pushing. I think I definitely 100% agree. I think the artist we're talking about, of course, is Charlie XCX. Charlie, baby. <laughs> Wherever the tagline goes. It's Charlie. I don't think I did that very well. Well, we can we can put it in. Yeah, let's hear it for real. Yeah. This, this is this is the tagline we're talking about. If you liked how it sounded, you can send us a text. I, I thought we did it better. Yeah, I agree. You can send us a text as well. We read them. Oh, we read all of them. There were some good some ones. Of, some of them are sorted. Yeah. <laughs> but you can text 0409-945-945. And maybe we'll refer to them in a future yeah. episode. Might do some shout-outs. Yeah. But Charlie XCX. Uh, you may know her from her origins with songs like I Love It and Boom Clap, which famously soundtracked the monumental... Whoa, 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 whoa. So, this is not the origin story of Charlie X because <laughs> that came way later. Charlie, like many excellent, iconic pop stars, worked for a very long time in the dredges of the major label system. Yes. A Sky Ferreira character, if you will, who, if you don't know who Sky Ferreira is... I don't know who Sky Ferreira is. It's somebody who is promised a lot by the pop system to become a superstar, Mm. works with a lot of hit makers, industry events, Mm. but nothing really comes through. And so Charlie was signed when she was super young... Yes. To a major label. I heard like stories of her like busking and shit like that. Yeah, like she moved to London to study like a fine art degree and mm. she she was really kind of working hard. She signed to Asylum Records in 2010 and described herself as being lost. Aww. Uh, and then she kind of connected with the rave scene and okay. she, she hated pop music, which I think really informs her career arc yes into changing the pop landscape altogether yeah so you fast forward a little bit sorry i skipped a little bit i just think you it's did. funny to talk about boom clap and how it soundtracked well the fault so, so she did prove herself as 
having the pop kind of genes. appeal. She has the appeal. She can write a damn pop song. Yeah. And she did it. She wrote that banger. Yeah. Yeah. But then she went into more interesting territory and started mm. collaborating with some pretty like left field music of the time. Like PC music. Oh, of course. I was trying to think what maybe I'm, I was like, Al knows so much more about Well, this. PC music, like the label. Oh, the yeah, AJ Cook's label. Yeah, it's not considered left field anymore. Because like, um, it's... Sophie R.I.P., iconic artist. Yes. But this was really like pioneering left field stuff at the time. It, I mean, that was, I guess, that first point that I was leading to. At the time, it was something that was crazy experimental. You hadn't really heard anything quite like it. And by its success, by its prominence, and by the public's adoration of this kind of thing, it has become the norm now. Yeah, and like for a little bit of context, pop music sounded a little bit like this. Sometimes I wake up in a different bedroom And I know when that eyeline blink That can only mean one thing Since I left the city, you look that much. Oh, baby, you should go and love yourself. And if you think that I'm still holding on to something, you should go and love yourself. So, fast forward a little bit to the mixtape Pop 2. Oh, that's the Charlie XCX project. But before all of that, like the concept of Charlie releasing a mixtape was kind of like fresh. It was. Like, cause she was in the studio system. It's all about like trying to break a big single, big studio albums. And then now she's kind of just like dropping mixtapes without much kind of notice to her fans. It detaches itself from the typical album cycle, so to say. Yeah. And to call it pop two. I was going to say the name pop two. It's, that a, is, it's a real statement. That is, it's literally such an omen. Well, it's also an FU because yeah. she is going into this more indie lane, mm. even though she's calling the record literally pop music. Yeah, yeah. And it was very forward thinking. But the funny thing about all of this is it's all still being released by the same label, Asylum Records. So it's completely blurred. And this is one of the big kind of outtakes of this notion of the pop star goes indie in the 21st century. Mm. It's just completely confusing. It's confusing for fans. It's confusing for industry. There's kind of this, like what is a commercial kind of record versus what is like an artistic pursuit first. It's kind of starts becoming a little bit just, mm. just meaningless in a way. It's just so confusing for would people. You, would you attribute that to maybe like the way the internet has shaped the development of music well, and distribution? I think that's going into a thesis and we need like a, <laughs> we need a one day show instead of a one hour show. <laughs> so let's kick off with a bit of music after that little bit of thesis mm. on Cracked. This is the opening track from Pop 2. It also features Carly Rae Jepsen, who is a whole other bag of worms oh, regarding pop and indie. Most definitely. But this track is Backseat. It's also produced by A.G. Cook and Easy Fun. Um, OG uh, PC music producers. 
It's Backseat by Charlie XCX. You listen to Crack. Collarbones, R.I.P. with Flume, and you are listening to Cracked, where we crack open the creative process. And if you're wondering why I'm being a little bit ambiguous about the <laughs> details of this track, I'm sitting here with my Gen Z co-host and brethren, Luke Joseph, hey, who has very little context for this song. So I have some thoughts on the song. Hit me. Uh, it's a bit mean, pending who did what on the song well the theme of this episode is the pop star goes indie so okay. i thought the song tell me what you think in relation to who's the pop star who's the indie artist <sighs> collarbones feel like they made at the time when you say 2015 that was like the emergence of flume right so maybe thereabouts yeah yeah flume was like the indie in the dynamic and i was like oh let's do a cool remix or um al's shaking his head i I mean, technically, Flume was indie in the sense that he was signed and still is signed to... Future Classic? An indie label. Are they an indie label? I mean, well, this is the thing. So, the idea of the pop star goes indie, you can get into, like, some pretty intense semantics. And, like, uh, indie is an ethos Mm -hmm. and not taking it so literally versus indie as... Are you literally independent from major labels? Mm. I see indie as an aesthetic. Okay. If that makes sense. I've, yeah. uh, people call me indie. Like my auntie said... You said that with such dis- disdain. <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> like my aunties and cousins who don't really get... Or like my family who don't really get it. You know, they're like, oh, you're indie, Luke. I'm like, no, I'm not. It's not me. It's who a certain... I'm a unique, I mean, multifaceted you have, individual. You have a show on FBI Radio. Yeah, that's independent. Yes. I don't think they're seeing indie as independent. I think they're seeing indie as like you wore Vans in like 2011. Fighting words. <laughs> I actually wore Converse in 2011. Yeah, I have more respect for that. So Flume released his debut album in 2012. Yeah, yeah. Which was that the pink up- one? Yeah, it's the pink one. I mean, the second one is also pink. <laughs> the pink so, one with the, the weird fucking oscilloscope fucking thing on it, right? Yeah. Is that what they're called, oscilloscope? Yeah. And so, for context, his second album, Skin, was released in 2016, which yes. won a Grammy. Skin won a Grammy? Yeah. Wow, you look so disgusted. <laughs> I'm just surprised. Nothing against 
Uh, Flume. I love so Harley. So to answer your question, <laughs> collarbones are definitely the indie artists. Okay. But they were definitely known for toying with the idea of sounding not indie. Yeah, I was going to say in... But they had a DIY indie ethos in the way that they made music, mm-hmm. but the music blurred the lines between what is pop and indie. I don't really like Disclosure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and how does that relate to... The song sounded song? a bit like a Disclosure track, some generic thing that you'd hear. <sighs> Fighting words <laughs> coming out of you today. I get it in the context. And also, like, I don't know... I don't have the other context around it. This is just my perspective from yeah. my context as someone who in 2015 was 16 years old. Yeah, I was definitely not 16. Yeah, see? So, my opinion may be uneducated. In 2016, I would have been... What, like 40? Uh, 27. Okay, that's okay. That's not bad. maybe. Yeah. 27. Yeah. yeah. So, you can see from my perspective or understand how I could think such a thing. Yeah, totally. And and for context, Flume remixed this track because he liked it. Okay, so Flume did the remix. Yeah. Oh, good for so Flume. So, Flume remixed the song. He liked the tune. Yeah. Remixed it. Okay. Definitely the biggest collarbone song yeah. ever released. Okay, fair. Maybe it's not to the FBI radio community. I do see those filth t-shirts friggin' everywhere. Yeah, yeah. They haunt me. Uh, yeah. I My see, goodness. I see collarbones t-shirts full stop Co- Collarbones should break up more because <laughs> it's really done wonders for their career. It's, it's <laughs> Sent them to the moon and back. So, look. The further we get into this idea of the pop star goes indie, the more and more confusing it is. Yes. Yes. There's depth to it. Do you want to talk about the next artist? There is depth. I'm going to talk about the next artist. Uh, I definitely want to do a simpler... Okay. Yes. ...artist where it, it doesn't require a mini thesis <laughs> to <laughs> unpack who's who's the pop star and who's the indie artist or like, you know industry label dynamics yes yes so what comes to mind we're gonna go into an artist that you selected which i thought was really interesting because okay. you chose an older artist yeah i i was like let me show Al how much i know about music and unfortunately we're still on the topic of r.i.p oh okay we're going because- there that direction because you chose shanae o'connor yeah who is an icon and yes sadly passed away so very recently her passing away not that I, it, it, it was significant it was very sad and really unfortunate um yeah she had a long kind of history of mental health conditions she had been kind of uh, a pariah to some and she had been completely taken down by major institutions yes religious ones in particular yeah she did that thing where she like shredded the the picture of the pope on SNL or something along those lines, right? Yeah, and she got kind of chastised for shaving her head. Yeah. Um, and she had a really, like, rough childhood, yeah. to say the least. Very much, and, like, uh, Irish. But uh, it's one of those scenarios where Sinead O'Connor's music and her ethics hmm. and her kind of unwavering power and spirit has, I think, become pretty iconic and it, somewhat of a role model to younger yes. generations. I, well, I definitely see a lot of content coming through my social media feeds of her giving speeches and um, performances where they're very um, 
a lot anti-oppression. Uh, yeah. Primarily, I guess, the oppression of England to the Irish and the whole dynamic and how far that's kind of set them yeah. back. And, and and I think that would have been considered in previous generations to be, whoa, that's just wacky stuff. Crazy you know? things to and say. Like, you know, she was a one-hit wonder. She did that Nothing Compares to You track, which she didn't even write. Did you know that it's a Prince <laughs> song? Well, that's where I was going to take it. I was going to talk about how she started off with that Nothing Compares to You track. And which, then, which, for context, in case you haven't heard Nothing Compares to You, <laughs> it goes a little bit like this. I can eat my dinner in a fancy restaurant But nothing, I said nothing can take away these blues Cause nothing compares Nothing compares to you So that was Nothing Compares to You. Um, and then she made a few albums and they got pretty successful. Um, they blew up and then she made this one album. And this one album, it, it kind of sucks. Believe it or not. <laughs> wow. I thought, we were, I thought we were like, you know, on the gravy train of, you know, really kind of like okay, pumping up Sinead. kind of suck. It's just, wow, it's so negative my least episode. favorite one. Um, but it's produced by Brian Eno. Mm, um, okay. And heavy hitter, Wycliffe of John is on there as well. Wow, wild. Yeah, I'm, wild I'm combo. Yeah, I mean, Shanae regularly kind of referenced oh, right. her appreciation for things like reggae and things of the sort. Yeah. So when is this? In two thousand. Okay. Yeah. So this is like back end of the like prime time era mm. of her career. Now, I bring it up more as a I wouldn't say low point, but it just feels very pop. Of course, maybe of the sentiment as like in the 90s or the mid to late 90s and the Wycliffe John influence and how R&B became such a strong, prevalent mainstay with Mm -hmm. like the emergence of Destiny's Child and things of that nature. It in the context, it probably made more sense. But looking back to back on it, it this is interesting. You put the lens of nostalgia on it with respect to what we're talking about with Flume and Collarbones earlier and now Sinead O'Connor. There's this sense of it's about perception and feeling as to whether something is pop or indie or whether that artist is moving towards indie or more towards pop. I signify this in this context, it being pop more as in the purest sense of the word, the popular sound. It Mm. had an aesthetic that felt remnant of that popular sound of the era yes of the era yeah. um and i felt it missed a little bit this may be a hot take but there's so, so to clarify do you actually like the song the song or the album i think the album's okay okay what's the album called faith and courage i think it's okay but i want to further prevalence the <laughs> so to clarify you want to play a song on our show yeah that you don't from an album that you don't even no, no, necessarily no, no, no. really that, like that's not even the point the point is such a fall from grace but but she picks it back up she picks it back up and she does an album with massive attack and it's spectacular it's amazing highlight in my opinion and what album is that um it's like the thousandth floor 
from Massive Attack. Thousandth Window. So, thousandth Window, that's yeah, the she, one. Look, for context, I'll give you the whole pass on this one. She didn't do a whole album She was featured Massive Attack. Mm, She's on a couple of songs. A lot of the songs. Okay. It and is it's really, really a, good. It, I, I'm really happy that you brought this up because it's one of my favorite Massive Attack albums. But do you want to pick the song? It's derived... <laughs> It's no, this is this is an equal space. <laughs> I know it may feel like a dictatorship sometimes, <laughs> all the time. But that's an, that's also an interesting idea because a thousandth window at the time and from people who kind of grew up when that album was released was considered a sorry, it's, I think it's a hundredth window. Hundredth window was yeah. was considered a failure. Okay. And like an artistic failure, but also a bit ho-hum Fair. by the fan base. And commercially, it did okay. But listening back, it's like, I, it's amazing. It's lasted for me. I went back mm. and listened to it and I was... It, the, okay, the way I found out about it was I was speaking with a friend and I was like, oh, yeah, Massive Attack. We'll talk about Trip Hop. I was like, yeah, Massive Attack. They do some cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and then Shania kind of had died the day before. Yeah, and they literally are like, oh, then you should definitely listen to this. Wow. And, and that's like, wow, that's a great album to mourn to. Yeah, it was such a pleasant experience to be opened up to that kind of world of her discography. I'm gonna play a track from it. Um, I'm gonna play "Special Cases" off "Hundredth Window" by Massive Attack, featuring Shanae O'Connor. R.I.P. Shanae, one of one. What an icon. program here on FBI Radio where we crack open the creative process. Today we're talking about the pop star goes indie. And just there after that massive attack and Shanae O'Connor track special cases. I played one of my favorites actually. I played the Oclue remix of Caroline Polachek's Door. And after that we had Black Quarterback from Death Grips. 
So I think the thing we're, we're going into here in this perspective of the pop star goes indie is more about when a pop star gets an indie artist to remix their track. And if you don't know, Caroline Polachek is huge uh, compared to Oklu. But weirdly enough, it was that remix by Oklu that put me on to Caroline Polachek. Okay, who is Oklu? Oklu just like a French synth plus a pop kind of self-producer musician so they're the indie in this scenario. they are the because very indie you person. confused me a little bit because caroline Polachek to me very much has indie roots in yes. the band chairlift yes and yes is now considered pop. an all-out pop star that's true but which she, is great at the time of this remix's release she was a uh, huge um pang had came out mm. she was very big she was very successful as an independent artist um, multitudes, orders of magnitude more magnitudes, more listeners than Oklu. And yeah, that was what put me onto it. I was like, oh, th- this remix of this song is actually pretty good. Mm. So it was a weirdly inverse effect. Because I feel like a lot of these times when bigger artists get a smaller artist to remix, it's to show a little bit of love, to spread the audience to people that they think are cool mm. and make good music. And I think Black Quarterback by Death Grips is sort of the inverse of that idea. Okay. Because Björk let them just use her music. Pop off Björk. Just to, just to remix and do whatever <laughs> she wanted. And Björk is like at pop star level. Yes. I think Luke is literally, things are falling on the ground <laughs> in excitement at the mention of Björk and Death Grips. I think that was your shit out. <laughs> I mean, I, I do lose my shit every time I hear Death Grips. I just want to smash things in delight. <laughs> but Death Grips have kind of always intersected with pop culture in a really interesting way, like being photographed with Robert Pattinson yeah. and well, Beyonce. They used Robert Pattinson's guitar on their one of their yeah, tracks. Yeah, he plays guitar. Uh, yeah, he's played on, on a Death Grips song, oh, which is yeah, pretty funny. Yeah. But in, in, in this context... Death Grips were just given free reign to use Björk's music as a piece of sampling. Is this and the modern day Blue Note uh, Mad Lib album, but instead it's Death Grips with like, So uh, that's a deep cut. So if you <laughs> listen back to earlier episodes of Cracked on your favorite streaming platform, Luke Mansplains Blue Note Records. <laughs> Asked, asking me if I knew what Blue Note Records was. Someone, te- someone sent in a text. We read the texts for reference. And they were like, yeah. did you just Blue Note Please text in 0409945945 and just tell Luke to stop mansplaining. It's not mansplaining. Iconic label. It's Blue Note It's exhausting. <laughs> so the, the album is called The Powers That Be mm. that Black Quarterback comes from. It was released in... 2014 but like most things with the duo death grips it's never simple Hmm. and they released kind of one half of it of which the name i can't say on air because it's it's a little bit um inappropriate for me to say the name (laughs) say it i I definitely (laughs) will not say this name it's called something on the moon you can look it up on the internet (laughs) So they released one part and then they released another part called Jenny Death. But Death Grips are really good at kind of displaying this anarchic energy. But they were also signed to a major label at one point, Interscope. Then they got dropped. Yes. Uh, The members definitely come from an independent ethos. Mm -hmm. Um, Zach Hill, the the iconic drummer and producer of Death Grips, had a very long 
career in independent music, perhaps best known for Hella. Okay. I've seen uh, footage of them playing on their own. They do solo drum shows. Yeah. It's just them drumming the entire time. Yeah. No, it's, it's, nothing it's, else. It's brutal. Yeah. It's crazy cool. Yeah. And I think Death Grips music, which is an interesting theme we're getting to here with the idea of like the pop star goes indie, is that a lot of this music that we're going through, whether it's in the 2010s, the early 2000s, or like a Shanae O'Connor, Shanae O'Connor's whole career, yeah. actually has a timeless quality to it. Like it, it all ages really well. Well, I think I've said this before. I think having pop sentiments in anything you do isn't a bad thing. I think pop music is pop music because it is approachable. It's fun to listen to and accessible. And of course, Death Grips may not be necessarily accessible, but in a certain way, mm. they are. Yeah, sense. I guess when they we're in the era of the meta commentary. Yeah, it's a bit of an antithesis of accessible. And by being so inaccessible, they become accessible. Yes, but there was a point in time where it was way more black and white. And so I'm going to take it back to the 70s. There was a group called the Walker Brothers. Ah. They were not brothers. <laughs> They are not related to, to Paul, Walker. Paul Walker as And they used suspected. his brother in the CGI to do the most recent Fast and the Furious. Well, the Walker Brothers were a British <laughs> pop group from the 60s. And then they released an album that basically threw all of this pop music against the wall. It's called Night Flights. It's from 1978. And this kicked off a solo career of Scott Walker, who, if you don't know Scott Walker... He made some very avant-garde music. Uh, he collaborated with people like Sono. Uh, he is a massive influence on Radiohead. There's an excellent documentary detailing his life. He became a complete recluse, never played live again after the Walker Brothers broke up in the late 70s. Oh. He never played live again. It's oh. amazing. And there was demand, believe it or not. So this is the opening track from Night Flights from 1978. It's appropriately called Shut Out. This is Cracked on FBI Radio. That was the iconic Walker Brothers with Shut Out, the pivotal turning point between the pop stars known as the Walker Brothers turning into the crazed weirdo solo outsider career of Scott Walker. This has been Cracked on FBI Radio, where we crack open the creative process for one hour every week. What a fun episode it's been today. Oh, we've been going for it. The theme has been the pop star goes indie. It's been a two-parter. Last week, we got into the rapper plays guitar. And the theme of the pop star goes indie is way more unhinged than the rapper plays guitar. I thought the rapper plays guitar was going to be the turbo one. It was pretty like one-dimensional. Yeah, it's 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 pretty clear cut. There's a formula to the way it works with mm. the rapper plays guitar. 
but with the pop star goes indie you get into so much it's yeah. kind of like the major label versus indie thing collaborating with an indie artist and you know the exchange of aesthetics and ideals and whether it's economic or mm. ideologically getting remixed or sampled by an indie artist or vice versa i think just the intersection of pop and indie they're almost like an antithesis and it's it's almost a timeless subject and it's it's the more we talk about it and explore it throughout the ages it is almost all about perception Mm. and the further away we get from certain eras of music like the scott walker walker brothers track that we just played or the collarbones flume remix from the mid 2010s (laughs) massive attack with shanae o'connor and her whole career from the 80s 90s and Mm. 2000s and caroline polachek indie roots but going pop and then being remixed by indie artists and never mind the kind of sordid internet head fucks of the death death grips grips. it's just i love it's all over the place but something that has been really pertinent all the way through is the veneer of technology and Mm. kind of technological process true and progress and the way that that keeps reinforming what versions of pop means and what indie means. Mm. Whether it's the ability to kind of be independent from a DIY perspective or kind of going and taking pop into extreme forms like Charlie XCX did yeah, with so PC like Using the elect- uh, well, like digital production as a means to push the music forward. Yeah, so a lot of the music has been a little bit unhinged either emotionally or sonically in a good way so we're going to close out with something a little bit more relaxed and hopeful luke has no idea who this artist is who are they their name is casey musgraves uh, yes they are considered a bit of a pioneer in the nashville country music world because they sing about less conservative ideas like getting high okay cool cool and they use a little bit of vocoder on their music. Really? Which sounds like it's not that big of a deal. And mm-hmm. if you don't know what a vocoder is, I'm sure you've heard the Daft Punk song that goes like yes. this. Last night, I had a dream about you. That's vocoder. It's like the effect that makes you sound like a robot. Yeah, so we're going to love you and leave you on a pretty positive sentiment. This has been Cracked on FBI Radio. My name is Alistair Hill. I'm Luke Joseph. And this track is called... Oh, what a world.